Hey everyone, welcome to Reformed Podmatics, hosted by the pastors of Almond Valley Christian Reformed Church in Ripon, California. It's Pastor Mark Van Dyke and Pastor Zach Dewey, and this podcast exists to promote the vibrant, biblical, and historically informed face of Reformed theology, both in our context and beyond. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Reformed Podmatics. I am Pastor Zach. And I'm Pastor Mark. And today we begin the uh, the look ahead into uh, Synod 2022, as you can tell by the title, whatever we decide to come up with. <laughs> uh, I'm sure you'll be able to see that. And we are now just a few weeks away. Uh, we're halfway through May, and Synod starts uh, in about a month, a little less than a month. And as a delegate, I have been knee deep, maybe neck deep, I should yeah, say, right. in reading and in preparation for uh, this really consequential and momentous uh, synodical meeting that will be taking place in the life of our denomination uh, that is now well over 160, almost 170 years old. Mm -hmm. And this is going to be, I really think, a a sort of uh, monumental occasion Mm -hmm. that will be uh, one of the most important synods uh, in in our history, especially in recent history. I think that's safe to say. Um, and one of the main reasons for this, of course, is the so-called human sexuality report that will be on the docket, which will be one of the major defining features of the agenda. Uh, there are some other important th- things happening, particularly uh, the ongoing discussions surrounding what will happen between the Canadian and the American uh, sides of our denomination. We are the Christian Reformed Church of North America. And that means that that means that we are a binational denomination, and so there's discussions about how uh, these relations should take place between the two, uh, between these two nations, the churches within these two nations, mm-hmm. um, and so that is a big important part of the conversation. But uh, yeah, one of the main things we'll be focusing on the next few weeks will be things having to do with the HSR, the Human Sexuality Report, and its acceptance. Uh, and of course, Mark and I, if you listen to listen to our podcast in the past, you've noticed, I'm sure, that we take the so-called traditionalist view. We are not uh, going to dance around that. We, we own up to that. Yeah. And so as I go and as I prepare, uh, I go with the hope of making that view uh, clear, making that view um, or showing how that view is biblical and necessary to be believed and held to. So I am in favor of making the Human Sexuality Report take on a confessional status. And this will be controversial. The fact that I am going into the (laughs) Synod with my mind pretty much already made up. Mm -hmm. And so there's been a lot of discussion about making this a deliberative body or seeing this as a deliberative body, uh, seeing synod as a body where thinking happens on the spot mm-hmm. uh, in, in order for it to be as objective as possible. And so we want to spend our time uh, today thinking through what it means to be a deliberative body and how reformed Christians should approach 
discussions like this, church ecclesiastical discussions where the church comes together, whether that's in synod or in classis or even in a church council. And so, Mark, what does it mean? We'll start Mm. there. Big question, to be a deliberative body. Well, that's a good question. I think there's, um, when people use that term to be a deliberative body, whether they're referring to a council meeting or classis meeting or a synod meeting in this case, maybe even an interpersonal conversation to have that be a deliberative process. Um, At at a, a base level, people are asking that somebody who participates in that conversation or decision-making process would have a humble attitude and an open mind. Um, And I I would totally agree with that, of course, that every synod delegate should approach synod with a humble attitude and an an open mind. Uh, Now, the devil's in the details concerning what that open mind requirement really should be. Um, An open mind to... uh, desire fellowship with other people and to be charitable and how we listen to other people. Um, absolutely. An open mind that calls every delegate to be a tabula rasa, a blank slate as they go into the meeting is not biblical at all. Hmm. And so um, what people mean when they say a deliberative body or deliberative process or having an open mind is going to differ very much from one person to the next. And even as I say that and, and say it's, it's, it's not good to approach such a meeting with a blank, a blank mind <laughs> mm-hmm. or an empty mind, um, I know that some people who are of the open and affirming, uh, what I would call the revisionist perspective, would say, ha, you're not really going into it with a, you know, a desire to deliberate, to, to yeah, really make yeah. a decision, uh, to which I would turn that right back on any person who is going to um, synod in order to vote down the HSR. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that this does cut both ways, that let's just be honest that people will come to synod hoping that the HSR is approved or hoping that it's struck down. And um, during synod, there will be deliberations on which is the better biblical argument. Mm -hmm. Um, That's the nature, I think, of deliberation at synod. And... um, from our perspective, of course, it's a slam dunk that yeah. the, the biblical argument is on the side of those who want the traditional biblical perspective. And that is, in fact, what the HSR spends its time doing exactly. throughout much of the report yeah. is addressing revisionist arguments. Mm-hmm. And it does a fairly good job. I think it quotes and reads from and does not... Uh, does not straw man the strongest revisionist arguments yep. uh, that are on offer in the church today. And it responds to them in kind. And it does so in a way that I think is very compelling, very clear, very consistent all throughout. And I think it's a really strong statement of human sexuality from a, what I would call a biblical and Catholic point of view. Catholic in the sense that it is the historic and accepted belief of Christians pretty much throughout all of history. Um, and so, yeah, the qu- the question is, how do we go about this with an open mind? Mm-hmm. Of course, I do want to go into this with an open mind. I, I, I have my opinion, and I the reason for that, though, is that, well, not, maybe not so much the reason, but I would say one, one explanation, one thing to say is that everybody, I think, who's going to this Synod meeting this year 
has an opinion yeah. on sexuality. And they should. We live in the year 2022. <laughs> yeah. And we live in the Western world. Unless you have lived off the grid for the past 50 or 60 years, uh, you maybe then you won't have an opinion one way or the other. And then you wouldn't be qualified to go, by the way. <laughs> yeah. And so <laughs> yeah. it's kind of impossible for nobody to have an, an opinion yep. on this at this point. And whether your opinion is strong or maybe you hold it a little bit more loosely, uh, we all have them. And I think as somebody who's been in ministry now for five years, I should have an opinion. Uh, as a pastor, I'm called to have an opinion. Uh, I'm called to understand what God's word says and see how the Bible teaches us how we are to live so that I can teach this. I can pass this on mm-hmm. to those uh, to whom I minister. And so I would be forsaking my my calling my vocation as a pastor if i did not already have such a position and so yes i will go in happy to listen to anybody who wants to say something to the contrary and i will not just be looking to to pick a fight i will not just be looking for holes in their arguments i will genuinely be trying to to listen Um, and i don't want to see the worst in people i don't want to come across as a jerk to people that is not my hope my hope is to listen well my hope is to obey all of the ethical commands that scripture gives me which while it's a hard thing to do it's important it's important to do i want to seek so far as it depends on me to live at peace with all i want to see the good in everybody as far as i'm able Uh, I want to love those with whom I disagree. If Jesus tells us that we are to love those who persecute us Mm -hmm. and to pray for them and that God may bless them, how much more then should I be hoping all those same things for somebody with whom I have a, just a disagreement with? We're not even enemies necessarily. We just have a strong disagreement. And so I don't, I don't want to go in with this war mindset that I'm here to, pick a fight and see see everybody as just my opposition that I want to mow down. Yeah. Uh, but I also know that I need to stand on truth and I need to uh, do not only what scripture calls but me to do as a pastor, but I need to uh, stand on my own conscience as well. Yeah, and a, a big part of this, what's underneath this conversation is what is a reformed approach to decision-making. Yeah. So... Um, that is going to be very different based on your theological framework. Um, On one extreme, the decision, like I would think of the charismatic movement, the decision-making process is Mm -hmm. mysterious. It's let's get into a room together and just pray, 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 pray really hard, sing some songs, Mm -hmm. and listen listen for the voice of the Spirit. Like That would be an extreme charismatic um, approach Mm -hmm. to hearing God's voice, uh, making a, a decision, and uh, discerning the will of God. Um, I would say on the opposite extreme, you would have something like the Roman Catholic understanding and, and basically say um, the the bishops, the cardinals, the church churchmen, the clergy, hmm. will, will gather, and um, what the church says, um, or even what the church has said in previous generations, that will determine what is true. And you know, perhaps they would pray much like maybe the charismatics do during during their meetings. But um, it's it's more of a hierarchical organizational process of arriving at truth than just sort of 
hearing the voice of the spirit or feeling the, the leading mm-hmm. of the spirit. Um, and so the reformed Christian really does reject both of those approaches to um, uh, decision-making and, and hearing God's voice and seeking his will. That isn't to say that it's a bad thing to pray and hear God, and hear the, the spirit's call or leading. That's, that's a good thing to do. And that isn't to say that church hierarchical structures are necessarily evil and um, <laughs> that was the case we wouldn't have synod <laughs> yeah we wouldn't have synod we wouldn't have pastors and elders we wouldn't have classes and so there is a a value to that um but as reformed christians and as i was researching for this episode it, it was it is just so clear time and again through church history especially since the reformation that it's god's word and spirit that teach us the will of god and so um, that is in our personal decision-making, that's at classes when we're ordaining a pastor. Does this pastor meet the qualification, the biblical qualifications of a pastor? That's the question. Not just, let's pray about it and seek understanding, mm-hmm. or here's what a synod a long time ago said a pastor should do or not do or be, but what does the Word say? And mm-hmm. um, it, the Spirit, hopefully, is directing us into the Word as we evaluate a ministry candidate or an ethical decision or some kind of position statement. It's it's really boils yeah. down to that God's word and spirit working in tandem um, to teach us the will of God. Yeah, working in tandem is a crucial part of that yeah, as well. Absolutely. If we do not understand that the word and the spirit work in tandem, we will have a faulty view both of the word and of the spirit. Yeah. Uh, we will begin to think that the word is passe. We can just listen to the spirit, or uh, we will begin to have a maybe a too high of a view or a cold view i would say of the word it's, yeah. it's like the word is just this, this yeah. old law book essentially yep. and without spiritual and we can, emphasis uh, it, it's just like what calvin calls the dead and deadly letter um, yes and, and that, yeah. that that's what uh some heretics were calling the yeah, Bible. I shouldn't say day. too high of a view, but yeah. it would be too cold of a view, too rigid of a view. Sure. As if we wouldn't need the spirit in our understanding of the word. Um, we don't have that view either. And so, but we also, in noticing the fact that they are in tandem, we cannot pit them against one oh, another. Yeah. And I think that this is often where things go wrong. It's often said, you could just Google this, I'm sure, and you'll find a lot of articles about how the Spirit is doing a new thing. Sure. Uh, particularly as as it regards to uh, ethics, ethics yeah. Yeah. and to how the church is kind of finally coming around. Mm-hmm. For 2,000 years, the church was in the dark, but now the church has finally figured it out. The Spirit has finally pushed hard enough for the church to uh, to change its positions uh, no, we do not think that the Spirit <laughs> does anything that is against the Word of God. Yeah. The same Spirit who wrote that Word still speaks that Word and illumines that Word to us today. Uh, God does not change. God is the same yesterday, today, mm-hmm. and forever. And so, insofar as something today, any movement or advocacy is out of line with Scripture, that disregards or con contradicts scripture we can know that it is not a spirit-led movement it is not a spirit-led idea Mm -hmm. or approach uh, to the christian faith yeah and this is really we're going to spend some time on this matter because i think that this is uh just to be really blunt and honest a tactic that is used by 
people who want to change the position of the Christian Reformed Church on human sexuality, that they would say, listen to the Spirit, um, again, el- really elevating the deliberative nature of this this gathering, um, mm-hmm. almost a call, empty your mind of your preconceived notions about this and just come in. Um, I, I think they, they wouldn't maybe go so far as to say empty your mind of those things, but uh, to me that's a, it's an undertone uh, yeah. of, of the call. Uh, and so is that reformed? That's, that's my question. Um, well, it, it probably is more charismatic. I think that it borrows a lot from the charismatic hmm. method of deliberation, um, but it is certainly not reformed. Um, in, in the Institutes, part one, um, it's all about the knowledge of God, and not just of knowledge of God in a general sense, but even knowledge of his will. That's uh, Calvin gets into that um, quite a bit in the latter parts of part one of the Institutes. And so he starts with this question of how can we know God? How can we know ourselves? How can we know uh, what truth is, what the will of God is, and um, during in chapter nine in particular of part one of the Institutes, he addresses this matter of those who would come and say, "Listen to the Spirit's voice. Listen mm-hmm. to the Spirit. Um, don't regard what he what he says the dead and deadly letter. Mm-hmm. Um, just listen for how the Spirit might be moving us or taking us in a new direction." And so, to that, um, Calvin says, "Under the reign of Christ." The true and full felicity of the new church will consist in the being ruled not less by the word than by the spirit of God. Hmm. And, and um, often what is the case is people will pit the Old Testament law God against the New Testament spiritual, mm-hmm. mysterious God, you know, who is, uh, who is love and who is, is leading yeah. us into greater love all the time. And, um, and that that's even spoken of by some of the advocates of changing the Christian Reformed Church's position in their videos on YouTube. And that is not Reformed at all. I mean, Calvin just said, under the reign of Christ, we are not ruled any less by the written word of God than by the Spirit of God. And, and he gets very heated in this discussion, actually, <laughs> in chapter 9 of uh, part 1 of the Institutes. I'll, I'll read another excerpt. It's a little longer, but... Um, I think it's it's helpful. Uh, Calvin says, It is easy to understand that we must give diligent heed both to the reading and hearing of Scripture if we would obtain any benefit from the Spirit of God. And so basically he's saying, you, you cannot obtain any benefit from the Spirit of God if you are divorcing the Spirit's work from the Word. Um, hmm. Just as Peter praises those who attentively study the doctrine of the prophets in 2 Peter 1.19, though it might have been thought to be superseded after the gospel light arose. And on the contrary, any spirit which passes by the wisdom of God's word and suggests any other doctrine is deservedly suspected of vanity and falsehood. And so the, uh, the TLDR of that <laughs> little passage is, the spirit and the written word of God will never contradict one another. And, yeah. um, and so... To come into synod or a council meeting or a conversation thinking, I've got to know the word, I'm going to quote the word, I'm going to rely on the Bible. Um, To me, that's just one of the most basic, I guess, instructions for any synod delegate. Listen for quotations of the Bible. Hmm. And whoever whoever can give the better argument from Scripture, um, let them win the day. 
Yeah. Um, and uh, I've heard a lot of presentations on uh, the open and affirming view, and um, they they often will just work to erode confidence in the HSR, and honestly, to erode confidence in the Bible's biblical uh, sexual ethics. Yeah. Without building anything positive mm-hmm. um, other than maybe that God is love and wants us to be loving to our neighbors yeah. in a general vague way. One good example of this revisionist argument that I read recently came from uh, the book of Acts, and it was from a website called, I think it was queertheology.com, and the website was working through the book of Acts and looking at how the council in Acts mm-hmm. 15 deliberates and makes mm-hmm. its decision. And they made the point that the decision for Gentile inclusion was made by the, because the church first observed that Gentiles were being welcomed into the kingdom of God. And so then they went back and read that into the Old Testament. And so the point was we should be looking at what God is doing among us and then we can read that back into the Bible. Therefore, if God is seeming to open up inclusion to the LGBTQ movement, then we can read that back into the scriptures and see certain scriptures uh, that talk about, you know, Jesus hanging out with sinners and tax collectors. Well, we can read into that, that today Jesus would, would be open and affirming. The problem with that argument as it stands from, from Acts 15, and it's, it's a fun argument. It sounds good. Mm. It's that it's verifiably false the, the the scriptures from the very beginning promise the inclusion of the Gentiles. Mm-hmm. It is not a reading into the scriptures. <laughs> yeah. It's not we're, like, like we're reading it through these rose-colored lenses, and it, we're putting there after the fact, putting it there after the fact. No, that was always there. This was something that was missed. The difference then with the LGBTQ uh, advocacy or the movement of being open and affirming in the church is that the scriptures have no such uh, statements of being yeah. being open and affirming. The scriptures are clear and consistent from the Old Testament to the New, and this is not just the so-called clobber verses, though we should not discount those. Uh, we should not discount any of scripture, yeah. uh, but we can look at all of what scripture says, tota scriptura, on issues of the church and Christ being being a sort of the the what all of marriage is pointing to with a man and a woman and we if we see that picture taught from Genesis to Revelation as it indeed is mm-hmm. Genesis talks about man and woman and their relationship to one another man cleaving to his wife and then not uh, not being separated all the way into Revelation we see Christ and his body the church his bride uh, and so all of this points us towards, I think, the so-called traditionalist view. Yeah. Uh, and there's nothing in Scripture that even remotely hints at the inclusion in the church of those who are openly living in LGBTQ lifestyles. Now, of course, those who are oriented differently, those who have attract- attractions to the same sex, or those who uh, feel... Uh, gender dysphoria within them we're not saying that they are not included in the church we are saying that to be a follower of christ you must give all you must carry your cross and follow him that is the same for every person who wants to follow jesus and that's the only thing 
that the HSR is advocating for. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It is not saying that just because somebody is attracted in some way that they cannot be included. Uh, I think it's important to just point that out for anybody who's listening who maybe yeah. doesn't know exactly all of what's going on here. Yeah, yeah. So um, I, I would at least appreciate, like the example you gave of X 15 I at least appreciate the effort to use the Bible for the yeah. argument. Like, yeah. And so I would say, you know, the first thing that I would want to do for that argument is to say thank you for searching the scriptures. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're showing at least a Berean spirit and saying, unless this is somewhere from the Bible, this is a useless conversation ultimately. Um, yeah. and, and so it recognizes that at least. Now, I would agree with your interpretation that the hermeneutics of <laughs> of saying our experience is the filter through which we read the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that it is true for every person. We do read the Bible through experience at a certain level, but always with the effort that the Bible would, would do this reverse work on us of changing our filter mm-hmm. uh, constantly. The more we know the scriptures, the more our filter changes from a biblical filter to read the Bible uh, with which we read the Bible um, instead of just a cultural or a personal experiential filter. Yeah. Um, and so, um, yeah, those, there's there's some issues in that hermeneutic for sure. But uh, another factor in our deliberations um, is that the Reformed person has a high view of Catholicity. And yeah. uh, again, that's in opposition to the evangelical or liberal, or, or liberal impulse to isolate the church's established teachings to to allow oneself to be just flat out ignorant of what the church has taught in previous decades, centuries, millennia, other cultures. Um, The modern evangelical and the modern liberal often fail equally in this regard is to, to disregard in disregarding the Catholicity, um, Catholic teachings of the church, uh, they err. Uh, And so the reason that we bring that up is John Calvin uh, truly set out in his reformational work to prove that he actually was far more Catholic than the Roman Catholic was of his day. Um, And same for Martin Luther. Um, The the story kind of goes that at, um, whenever he was on trial before a Catholic um, um, inquisition, essentially is what it was, uh, Luther would make a mockery of those who were uh, examining him by knowing Augustine and Athanasius mm-hmm. and Peter Lombard and Aquinas far better than those um, accusers uh, yeah. of him would do. And so, again, in each point proving that that this is Catholic uh, with a lowercase c, this is the teaching of the church, um, mm-hmm. I think the burden of proof is certainly a very heavy one that an open and affirming person, a revisionist person, would would need to sustain in order to reverse the Catholic teaching of the church on this regard of same-sex unions. And they cannot sustain that proof at all, that burden of proof. Mm-hmm. And and so, in a way, it, it's almost a non-starter because it should be so obvious yeah. in reversing the uh, the trend of, uh, of the Catholic church. Um, and, and they mm-hmm. cannot do that because there's no positive scriptures about homosexuality. Yeah, this is Reformed Theology 101 sort of stuff. I, yeah. I think pop Calvinism in mm. the past 10 or 15 years hasn't exactly always tried to be deeply Catholic. 
But if you go back and you read the reformers and you read the confessions from the reformed tradition and that the, and the confessions of the, the Lutheran or the Anglican traditions as well, all of these magisterial Protestants were at, were taking great pains to show that they were in line with the teachings of the church. Now we can debate how, how, uh, true they were to the early church, but the point that we're making here is that the reformed tradition has always been self-consciously Catholic or attempting to be mm-hmm. Catholic. And so holding to the faith once delivered to the saints, as Jude puts it. And so, yeah, we're reading a book, for example, called Unchanging Witness, Mark and I and a few other pastors, uh, that goes through the history of the church mm-hmm. uh, from the patristic period onward to the present day and shows the consensus of the church. Now, it's worth noticing, I think, as I've been reading that book, I've just been shocked sometimes at the vileness of the language. And I think that the church has has learned to come a long way mm. and to, in how we treat people who uh, or have attractions to the same sex um, and so on. Nevertheless, the positions have not changed. Mm. And I don't think that they should change. Uh, I think we've learned to not view them as less as less than ourselves and i think that's good uh, that's we we should view them as sinners just like ourselves and we should have a not have a higher view of ourselves than we ought as paul tells us in sure. romans 12 for our generation uh, than yeah. we ought yeah <laughs> yeah and then another part of this so sort of sort of to add on to the idea that god's word god and his word and his spirit teach us his will um and the view of Catholicity, we should add on to this, the profoundly uh, important uh, Calvinistic beliefs in common grace and total depravity and how these affect our decision-making process. So if we, common grace, I think, helps us to, to listen, mm-hmm. and but total depravity and having that in our minds helps us to uh, be careful uh, and to, to think things through, to deliberate well. And not just believe everything that we hear, and so there's these two are yeah they're intention they're intention yeah. but in a good way yeah that help us to to really think and to reflect and to deliberate well yeah so common grace is this idea that um, even among unregenerate people people who are not born again the Lord can bless the earth the Lord can even bless the church can give. Um, knowledge and wisdom, and um, and so we can gain knowledge and wisdom about the world that we live in through mm-hmm. unbelieving people, um, and God's common grace is always at work. Um, I think a misunderstanding of common grace is that people would say, "Oh, really? People aren't as bad as you think they are, and yeah. they can they can kind of get to um, some truth just by observing the world." And isn't that amazing when that happens? No, it's actually it's common grace. It's still by mm-hmm. the grace of God that any person would say a wise statement, whether mm-hmm. that person is born again or not. And so, yeah. the the view of common grace in the Reformed Church is to say that God's grace can can come to us by some wisdom from a source even outside the church. Hmm. Um, now, that's one side of the of the the tension. The other side of the tension, like you described, is total depravity. And so, hmm. um, we believe that 
uh, without the regenerating work of of the Lord, we're, we're lost. We're dead. Um, we're we're fools. Um, we would regard any truth as foolishness if it wasn't for the saving work of Christ in our lives or the the work of of common grace among the world. And so, um, I, I think that often in these deliberative processes, the the people would almost choose one side or the other. They'd say, common grace is so amazing, let's just listen to all these non-believers and what they have mm. to say about ethics. Well, yeah. that's discounting the reality of total depravity mm-hmm. and the noetic effects of that. So total, yeah. de- total depravity will impact what people can know and yeah. what they will value as wisdom. Yeah. First Corinthians could not be more clear about that. Um, and the other side might emphasize too much the total depravity side and disregard... Uh, some research that's been done that mm-hmm. could perhaps influence or help our how we word things, how we care for people in a, in a Christian way. Um, yeah. And so I, I think that the Reformed approach to decision-making or even to the conversation itself will keep these ideas and, and doctrines in tension, that common grace is real, but also also is total depravity. Yeah, these two coincide also, I think, with... Uh, general revelation and with special yeah, revelation. very much so, yeah. Uh, in, in the sense that uh, in giving common grace, God gives us the ability to to understand th- things that we can, we can observe things that are true about the world. Uh, and people can do this whether or not they are Christians. And then with total de- total depravity, the fact that we are all, all totally depraved right. necessitates a revelation from the outside, uh, which is special revelation, God's word, that brings absolute clarity uh, to things that we can, so we we may understand the truth about our world, about ourselves and about how we can be saved Mm -hmm. through Christ. And so we need both and we need not discount either. Yeah. So it's, uh, it, 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 it's kind of part of the issue with these um, conversations is that is sometimes frustrating towards me is how people generally just kind of pick one side of general revelation versus mm. special maybe or special at the expense of some general yeah. revelation. And so I think for anybody who's going to synod, um, that's part of having an open mind is living in that tension um, yeah. but of like recognizing common grace is real, but also... Um, not elevating that ever over the clear teaching of Scripture. I think that's maybe a mistake that some that some make is is just to look mm-hmm. at general revelation, common grace, all truth is God's truth. You sort of hear that mm-hmm. mantra. Um, yes, that's that's true. Those are good blessings, but at the same time, let's let's hold on to this. Mm-hmm. One of the five points of Calvinism, one of the the bedrocks of our yeah. of our theology, is total depravity and. Um, that's not just in the salvation sense, but in the noetic sense mm-hmm. as well. Um, that uh, it's not as though we will always think what is absolutely the worst thought, but all that we think without the saving work of Christ is tainted by sin. Yeah, and that's why it's good to deliberate because we are tainted by sin, and our ability right. to understand is flawed and broken as a consequence of the fall. Therefore, we should a consult Scripture. B, consult, uh, I think, the church's historic teaching. C, consult the, the thinking of others who mm-hmm. we know to be wiser than ourselves. Uh, and then D, I think we can try to uh, draw or 
draw out some meaning from our own experience and think about our how our own experience shades things. Uh, but we should never reverse that order. And I think that that's often w- what we're in danger of doing as the Acts 15 article mm-hmm. I read from Queer Theology uh, tries to do. It, it, it foregrounds personal experience uh, and puts everything else as being some sort of subsidiary to that. Yeah, and so for, for people who are going to Synod um, or who are going to be watching, I, I do just want to reiterate that um, we, we believe in sola scriptura, and so listen for, listen for passages of scripture that speak directly to the issue that's being discussed. Um, hmm. I think that at times, I've, I've seen in the Christian Reformed Church, I think particularly of the conversation around pedo communion, that maybe scripture was used, but it, it wasn't always the best scriptures for the conversation that was being had. Um, so with pedo communion, people would argue in favor of it by saying, uh, look, God's covenant is with his uh, uh, believers and their children, and um, God's there's a wideness to God's mercy, you know, um, mm-hmm. and, uh, and and so they would use passages that weren't really about communion. Unclear passages to interpret right, the clear passages. General kind of passages about God's covenant and his, his love for his people to push through a very specific thing, and mm-hmm. so where the Bible speaks most directly about communion, 1 Corinthians 11, um, there's a pretty clear teaching of what that should look like. So for any person who's going to be a part of the deliberations of Synod or, or listening to um, or watching it online, listen for Scripture being used in the most precise way for the conversation that's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I, I think that that is going to reveal very quickly that uh, the Human Sexuality Report is a good report um, because... Uh, I like the the line that it has. Scripture makes a clear, consistent, and compelling case mm-hmm. um, for what we uh, for the biblical or, or for for a, the idea that sexuality is to be expressed in a monogamous relationship between a man and a woman. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's not wrong to read those general passages and to yeah. to, to draw conclusions of a sort from them. But when it comes to those particularities in Scripture, uh, we should let those really inform the shape of, in which we understand. Uh, it, it should shape our our interpretation of those general mm-hmm. passages. Uh, and I think that that is a really, really important point in, in terms of our exegesis. Mm-hmm. One common thing I think we will, we will hear and have heard uh, in the church is that uh the traditional position excludes mm. and harms those in the LGBTQ uh, movement. And so this, they would say that this does not seem to fit with Jesus's radical ethic of love mm-hmm. and acceptance for sinners. And so they read that general teaching of love and acceptance for sinners, and they see the particular teachings of the Bible as not really falling in line. And so therefore they can, uh, explain away explain her, away yeah. these these what they call uh, uh, these yeah the clobber the passages. clobber passages yeah. yeah these difficult passages yeah and I think that as if not only, only six, not only is that a wrong way of reading scripture but it, it pits scripture against itself mm-hmm. I think what it requires of us is a strong imagination so where we can ask questions like how can this the Bible's sexual ethic 
perfectly fit in with Jesus's love ethic. We should, if we can't understand yeah. that, we should do more thinking. Mm-hmm. We should see how the two actually fit beautifully together, and not how they are just so so contradicted, so contradictory to one another that they can't possibly be a part of God's word. So we have to decide: well, well one of these is really God's word. One yeah. of these is the red letters, and then these other mm-hmm. letters are black letters, and so we can get rid of them. Well, no, that's not how <laughs> scripture not is read. That is not reformed. That no. is that has no place in the reformed tradition. Mm-hmm. We hold to all of scripture, and we do not see God speaking one way in one place and speaking another way in another place. He does not speak out of different sides of the same mouth. God speaks plainly and clearly, and it's up to us to listen and to always do our best to try to understand. So if we can't, can't see how those kinds of passages fit together, we have more imagining we must do. We Mm -hmm. must learn to imagine how truth can fit together. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great, great, point as we close here um i i do think you know again reiterating that it is a deliberative body in uh in that there will be discussion and and hopefully uh the scriptures are valued just like um just as much as prayer just as much as the spirit speaking um that uh that the spirit has spoken let's remember that through through many several millennia and um, we can rely on what the Spirit has said and what he also will be speaking to the delegates there and trust that the gates of Hades will not overcome the church. So um, yeah, amen. It's, uh, this is a, just part one here in our series yeah. leading up to Synod, and um, we look forward to touching on some other issues. We'll probably do more of a episode on just the HSR itself and the content of that in future weeks um but uh for now uh we will bid you adieu and we thank you for listening to reform podmatics yeah grace and peace you guys